Hello, Kihong. Welcome <laughs> back. Hello, Thomas. Round two. Round two. Oh, it's good to it's good to have you back for that.、Um, Thank you. Yeah,、um, we are recording this a week after our last episode. Yeah,、uh, we're trying to keep to a good cadence. So、um, yeah, hopefully we can keep doing it every week or so. Yeah,、um, yeah. that's our plan. All right. So today, what will we be discussing? Yep, as promised,、uh, the last minute of our you know last episode,、uh, we are going to be talking about our experiences at boarding school and anxieties that come along with it. And as I said,、um, you know, our intention is to be brutally honest with our stories. So, you know, just as a heads up to the listeners. <laughs> But yeah, sounds good. Yeah.、Um, Last year,、um, our classmate Lily and I had a had a conversation,、uh, a podcast conversation, where we talked about status anxiety, which I think is very related to this.、Um, we, I think we did end up talking about the boarding school experience as well and how that plays into it. But、mm-hmm. we had done a book club and read this book called Status Anxiety by Alain de Baton,、um, which basically talks about this idea um, that uh, that people、um, in the modern world have this. Specific type of anxiety, status anxiety, where people are concerned about how they're perceived. Are they judged as a failure, as a success, you know, as a winner or a loser?、Uh, and often that's bred by the sort of competitive、uh, environment that really values、um, sort of material success, you know, getting a good career, getting a lot of education,、uh, and things that like aren't necessarily bad, but that you know this this feeling of being on a rat race and always pursuing the next thing. And then you get it, and then you're never satisfied. Um, and you always have to have some sort of sign that you're you're doing the successful thing、yeah. for someone at your stage in life.、Uh, so we talked about that a lot, and I do think it intersects a lot with、um, with the discussion about boarding school and education,、um, and where some of these values are formed in our childhoods and adolescence.、Um, but yeah, is that an idea that resonates with you at all? One hundred percent. And this is you know one of the episode topics that I was most you know excited about because. I do want to caveat that our, you know, stories are, you know, limited to limited to our own experiences, but also at the same time, in terms of the pure genuineness of the content, I think it's just going to be really up there.、Um, and I think, you know, your and you and Lily's conversation was just a really good, you know, food for thought for me. And I think it just made me think a lot about. Even the per, even the lasting effects, the lingering effects beyond boarding school on my life. So definitely want to touch upon that.、Um, yeah, no, thanks for defining the status anxiety and the you know the boarding school topic.、Um, I think it's going to be you know helpful for the listeners because I know it's not a you know usual experience. It's not a common experience. So I think it's good to sort of start off with that.、Uh, yeah, no, but very relatable. Yeah, no, definitely,、um, and you know, I think there are a lot of、um, ideas floating around about like what the boarding school experience is like. You know,、yep. it appears in like media、yep. and, and books, and you know, I think a lot of people at Exeter read this book. You know, a separate piece, yeah,、uh, which is like takes place at this fictional boarding school, but it's、yep. very like very much modeled after you know the one we went to.、Um, and you know, I think there are a lot of ideas about、um, how it interacts with privilege, and you know, there's sort of this feeder to elite universities and. You know, there, is that fair? Is that sort of just this old money kind of thing? And、uh, a lot of discussions around diversity and how to sort of make sure that the mission of these boarding schools is aligned、yeah. with you know sort of modern values and everything. So that's like a whole interesting discussion. But I guess yeah, mainly we'll be talking about you know our own experiences, like、yeah. how we you know with the backgrounds that 
yep. you know, we discussed from our previous episode, yep. um, how we experienced that. And of course it can't reflect, you know, every person who went to boarding school, it's not going to reflect every boarding school in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally possible that other people have like vastly different experiences. So I just want to yeah, throw that out there as a caveat, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Sounds good. Let's get right, to, uh, right into it. Cool. Um, okay. What did you think of boarding schools before attending Thomas? Yeah, that is a good question. So I kind of grew up thinking that I would one day attend a boarding school. Mm. Um, like my my dad had gone to boarding school. Mm-hmm. My older sister went to boarding school. It just sort of seemed like the natural thing to do. Uh, I think, you know, I talked about this in the previous episode, but, you know, I grew up in Japan, um, but I think kind of always the the kind of goal or the the idea put forward to me was that I would probably go to college in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to like an English-speaking school in Japan and, um, you know, there are probably like just more career opportunities given that background uh, in the U.S. And, you know, that's, you're a child, right? Like you don't necessarily have full agency at that point. You're sort of basing your decisions off of what you see around you, what you see the older people in your life doing. And so it just seemed like, oh, I'm going to do this, even though, of course, there were many other paths that my life could have taken. Um, I think I maybe had this like rosy vision of like, oh, it's this place where you go to and there's like so many different classes you can take and so many different opportunities. You know, like I went to, you know, like a good school in Tokyo, um, but it was kind of like everyone took the same classes. It's not like you had some course catalog that's 40 pages long that you can sort of pick from. Um, And so the idea that, you know, I'm going to be in this school environment with like really passionate teachers, small class sizes of like 12 students, sports, clubs, you know, living on campus that you're sort of having that 24 seven experience and you're always around your, your friends and your classmates. Like that seemed like really nice to me. I think I kind of like had it in my mind as this kind of like ideal of like looking forward to oh I'm, I'm I was like just frankly excited mm-hmm. um, at the prospect of going um, and of course there's always a danger I think of of idealizing things way too much when you don't have all the information but yeah that was sort of my um, thought before attending but how about you thanks for sharing Thomas so I think certain common themes there but mostly I would say pretty different so as I said I was in, in my last episode, I was pretty discontent with my experiences in my Korean school. And um, I knew that I wanted to study in the States, but wasn't necessarily so uh, you know, fond of the idea, I think, of just being separated from my parents. You know, it's not, I know that there's a trope out there. It's just like, oh, you have like a bad relationship with your parents and you get sent off to boarding school. It was not like that, right? But still, um, I think it was just purely a decision of logistics for my parents. So. You know, my parents were like, oh, we can't go with you. You know, that obviously leaves you with uh, schools that would, you know, accommodate you, right? I would have a, you know, dorm and I would be able to live by myself in the U.S. Um, and I, as I said in the last episode, I think my mom, there's a little bit of element of my mom trying to live vicariously through me as well. I think my mom definitely fantasized a lot with the idea of boarding schools, but it was interesting after I got, you know, after I got admitted to, um to to i think i got admitted to like two i think two schools and then i got the pamphlets right the materials 
And then my mom, kind of towards the end, I think she started like really regretting. And then almost towards the very end, right before making the, the decision of whether going or not, and she was like, I think it's going to be a very competitive, you know, environment for you. And you might not always super like it 100%. And I think her prediction was, and she honestly said something along the lines of like, at some point you might want to come back while you're there. And I think that was, the prediction was very dismayingly accurate. Um, but I think thinking back, because I was young, I was very fearless. I think looking back, I'm not so sure with all the things that I know right now, I could have just, you know, pressed on the, the yes button so, you know, so quickly. Because I was just like, okay, I mean, I got it, you know, I, now I got to go. So yeah that was sort of that was sort of it i mean i but you're right thomas like all these materials that they sent you make it look like the best experience in the world you know um and then i know but you know we have these for the listeners we have these you know short conversations before we start these recordings and we talked about this briefly uh but you are right, Thomas, in the sense that it is a good experience in terms of diversity, right? You know, you get exposed to, you know, people from different international backgrounds, you know, people that um, in a non-boarding school, I think, experience it would be sort of hard to get. So, yeah, know. yeah. No, that's very true. I mean, like you, you know, you meet people from many different countries mm -hmm. who speak many different languages, um, you know, come from different backgrounds. And, you know, one misconception about boarding school is that, like, everyone who goes there is rich or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, there is a disproportionate representation of affluent students. That's 100% true. 100%. But, I mean, like, our school also had a pretty generous financial aid program. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's a selection bias of, like, who, is, who hears about it and mm -hmm. who applies to it. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there were lots of people on full financial aid yep. who, you know, were paying nothing to go there and even got you know money for things like laptops and yep. books and things i think around 40 percent is the statistic I think. yeah yeah so i mean like honestly compared to um the private school i went to in tokyo mm -hmm. which i don't think offered any financial aid um like i actually did meet like a broader range i mean yes also at the at the upper extreme i there were like people there from like very very privileged backgrounds that i couldn't even really conceive of yeah last names you that you've heard of exactly you know. yeah yeah, but then also like people who came from just very different backgrounds as well. So um, there was a range there. I think that is like a common misconception. Um, and yeah, I mean like people from all over the world. I mean, it is it is cool because it's a combination of, of having classes with those people and having those perspectives and like the, the whole system of, of pedagogy that we used was based on seminars and discussion. Yep. And so you do get to hear people's voices and perspectives. You're mm -hmm. not just, they're not just another student at a desk. Mm -hmm. They are someone who is speaking and sharing their perspectives. And so having a diverse student body um, was very valuable in that regard. Um, and then you also live with them. So it's a residential community. So you're living in a dorm with people um, from these different backgrounds and learning to understand across differences and learning to make friends um, and yeah, I mean, I, I will say, like, like it, it was like, you're still 14, and you're like, you haven't reached the level of maturity that, you know, you look back, and you're like, man, I was like, so silly, or so immature in these ways. Yeah, but, we were so young. Yeah, yeah, and so, like, you're kind of just thrown in there, and you're trying to, like, figure out how to, you know, how to live, and how to be a good person, and how to do all that, and how to be a good student, um, but, 
you know, in, in one sense, even though I do have like complex feelings about the whole boarding school thing, it's, um, there were, there were definitely positives and there were definitely ways in which it, it impacted my life. Yep. Um, in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, um, the next question we have here is sort of about our first memories. Um, and so like, you know, I think we can interpret this, you know, broadly. It doesn't have to be like literally the day like that you moved in or some first memory, but like, yeah. What was like an early memory that you had or some sort of like something that, that made an impression on you in your, in your first days at boarding school? I know you said not necessarily day one, but I do have a very vivid memory of day one. Oh yeah, one, it can literally. be day one. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I'll share this. It's, it's, um, I think my mom and I fought a lot at the first day we got there. It was just like, shoot, they were helping me with unpacking and stuff like that and, you know, um, bringing in the packages. And then my dorm was Abbott, um, as you know. Um, Abbott, for the listeners, is one of the oldest dorms. It was like in the middle of the campus. It was a pretty central location, but a very, very small dorm. And then the moment uh, we drove in, uh, my parents parked the car and then was helping out with the packages again. And then the senior, so I, when, I, when I was a prep, prep means freshman, right, first year, the senior... Um, Ted Lee, who was a proctor, was such a nice guy. Um, he came down and just gave me like the, the firmest hug. Still to this day, I've like, you know, I haven't had you know, that strong of a hug. And he was like, welcome. And he was just such a good person. I mean, he was just such a good proctor. But that was like one of my strongest memories like that. Um, so it was really welcoming, I think, in, in the beginning. Now, <laughs> having said that, it was quite a contrast because like day one, I think even throughout my first year um, in boarding school, I was very close to the seniors, right? Because I feel like they were very nice to me in terms of transitioning to, because for me, right, it wasn't just transitioning to boarding school, right? It was transitioning to like an American life, right? Um, so I, I was still like struggling with a lot of cultural references, uh, arrived at campus with broken English, I think I was just very scared and kind of insulated as a child. Yeah, yeah. Of that. I honestly like wonder if my, I think I'm kind of like a social, uh, like I'm an I, I think, but like a social I, I can just be like kind of force myself to be an extrovert in certain cases. But I also almost wonder if my sort of introvertedness developed in that phase. But anyways, the reason I go with this, started off with this was day one, such a positive experience. The rest of that week, I remember it being just so, so, you know, like thinking back, it was very stressful. Um, but I don't think I ever even knew that I was stressed out, right? Because you were so like, there were so many things going on. You had to meet so many people. So you're kind of in this adrenaline rush, right? But yeah, man, I think I struggled sleeping, you know? It was just like this, ra- this random white dude <laughs> that I've, you know, I've, I've yeah. never had any American friends. It was a random white dude in the same room with me right but i mean once again this random white dude turned out to be you know one of my best friends just in life he's such a good guy craig um but it was just stressful and i was scared um yeah 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 no thanks for sharing that yeah um that's that's like really interesting and i think it it goes to show how certain decisions that are not even your decision like which dorm you end up in do you have a roommate who is your roommate who are the seniors who are there when Mm -hmm. you're a freshman, um, those have a huge impact that mm-hmm. you can like literally go back. You know, you can't predict it when you're living it. Yeah. But 
10 years down the line, you can look back and say, wow, like that one person or that one um, sort of uh, being sorted into a particular dorm yeah. did have a very tangible impact. That's really 100%. interesting. Um, yeah, I think like my memories with the dorms, I was in a different dorm called Main Street. And I do have like a lot of good friends from that dorm. Yeah. Um, I was also, I think, quite introverted. Um, and in addition, I like, I don't know, I just like had the strong desire to not have a roommate, which I think was kind of immaturity speaking on some level. Like I just wanted to have my own space. So I think I even requested to like have a I didn't know you could request, huh? Yeah, I don't know if you, well, I feel like I remember doing this, but maybe it wasn't like a, I don't even know where or who if I corresponded with or something. But most of the, I think the most, you know, uh, freshmen perhaps, um, you know, have a roommate. And, you know, that can be in some cases, they're like best friend for the four years that they're, you know, that they're in high school with, um, or it could be someone that, you know, they don't get along with as much. Um, but because I requested a single, I think I got put in a dorm that has a lot of singles, uh, main street. And it's uh, unlike yours, which was very centrally located to campus. Um, and I feel like had sort of, I don't know if this is true, but like, it's just so central that it's like maybe just easier to get to or more of like a easier place to convene, yep. uh, make friends with like other neighboring buildings and such. Whereas the dorm I was in was, is the most like furthest South building. And it's like across another street. And it, basically it's just much further away from, from stuff uh, and more isolated. And again, that's like a somewhat random or trivial distinction on the surface level. But I do think it kind of matters for like the culture of the dorm. It, it creates more of like, it's an, it's an exclave of, of the campus in a sense, right? Once you go there, there's a bit of an inertia to like leaving. And so people tend to like, you know, either like gravitate towards spending a lot of their time there or like making friends outside the dorm and like rarely spending time in the dorm. And it's not a place where you're like constantly cycling through because um, it's in the middle of campus. So I think that that ended up like that contributes to the different culture that each dorm has, which is an interesting, I think, facet of boarding school life is the differences in, in dorm cultures. And you're so right that you don't get to make any of the decisions. You yeah, just yeah. put into it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that ends up like staying with you, you know, for life in some sense. For life. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you mentioned like having such a positive um, greeting from like one of the seniors and the leaders in the dorm. It's like, I definitely had like older guys in the dorm that I looked up to a lot. Um, and I think a lot of this is on me for not necessarily being the most accepting or receptive towards um, like influence from older students. <laughs> but I did not I did not feel that sort of same um, mm -hmm. positive reception from from mm -hmm. some of the older students. Um, like, I'm, you know, not I, I don't think it was anything like um, like targeted or like I think the culture was just a bit different. I remember like one of my first memories of going back to the question of first memories was like, after my parents dropped me off, moved in all my stuff, they left and sort of like first like evening or afternoon, like on campus, away from home, like starting this new life. Um, a bunch of people were like, oh, let's play like a game in the courtyard. So we had like a courtyard in a building. And it was this game where like we were in the courtyard and you like threw tennis balls. And like if you like lose or I, I forget the exact <laughs> rules, but it's like you have to like hit the tennis ball back. And then if you like fail to hit the tennis ball, then you have to like line up against the wall and then the people can like throw the ball at you as hard as they can or something, you know? Oh, and so it was like, it had this, like it had this like aspect of violence. And of course it's basically, it's all just yeah, good fun. You know, you're just playing a game and you know, like it's a tennis ball. It's not gonna hurt you that bad. But I remember being like really like freaked out by that. And like, I'm like new here, I don't know anyone. And like the first thing I'm doing is like playing this game where people are like throwing objects 
at me really hard. Um, and I remember kind of like escaping to like say, I'm going to go use the bathroom and like just kind of like being in the bathroom as like a little 14 year old being like, you know, what did I get myself into? Kind of. <laughs> um, and I also remember like, I think like I was just, I don't know, maybe I was like too sassy or something. I was a little sassy, but I remember like somehow getting on the wrong side of some of the seniors. Really? Yeah. And, um, like kind of starting to try to avoid them because I didn't like, I felt like I like rubbed them the wrong way or like they didn't like me or some combination of that. And so I would like kind of try to avoid them. Um, and like, I would like be maybe hanging out with some of my friends who are from outside, like who are from a different dorm and like, you know, I'd see them coming and I like try to sneak away, but then they'd see me and be like, Hey, we see you, you know, and kind of this, like, it, it felt like a bit, um, antagonistic almost. And so just, it was interesting when you mentioned having such a positive and warm reception. Um, again, I'm not trying to like, um, punch the blame onto like other people. I think it's just different dorms of different cultures. And, you know, I, I did not come into it with this feeling of like, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have a roommate. I'm excited. Like I was like, I want a single, I want to do my own thing. I want to make friends with people from other dorms. And so I didn't, I didn't have the buy-in that I think was expected. Um, which we can maybe get into this if we talk about like sort of some of the dark sides of dorm culture, hazing, things like yeah, that. But yeah. I guess I did not buy in and that sort of, yeah, I don't know that, that decision I think ended up being consequential, but no, I love yeah. this Thomas. Cause it's like, it's really telling of what's different about boarding school life from, you know, I guess non boarding schools is that there is so much physical limitations of your, uh, your just private space, right? There's just so much less privacy and, for example, if you, it doesn't even sound like it was like a bad conflict, but it, let's say that you actually had a bad conflict with somebody in your dorm, right? It, it just really affects your day, like, you know, your life in boarding school, you know? It just, it kind of teaches kids at such a young age how to, how to, how to, how, to, how, to, how do I describe this? Like socially maneuver, you know, like how to socially position yourself so that you, you become very, you know, um, you try to avoid conflict, right? It becomes very non-confrontational. I don't know how much of that is developed by, you know, my experiences at Exeter or my introverted nature or just maybe, you know, the the Asian culture in me, I guess, right? Just try to be polite, try to be non-confrontational. But I, I think boarding school definitely played a role in that too. That was very interesting. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, so that was like, that was like early memories, I guess. Uh, and that's like all pre, like everything we talked about was like pre-academics. It's like pre-class, pre-first class. Not even yeah, about yeah. classes, yeah, not yeah. even yeah. about sports or some of these other yeah. things that people talk about. It was just like the, the dorm experience on its yeah. own, which I think like segues kind of interestingly into the next mm -hmm. question that we had written mm -hmm. down, which was- This man's um, so smooth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to you too for, for these great questions. But uh, like about social life and mm -hmm. like what was your social life like so I guess just to set the scene and maybe we have to provide some context but yeah. basically so like we went to a like co-ed boarding school yep uh, there's sort of um, I forget how many like 30 dorms or so Ooh, yeah forget, including the something. small houses there were definitely small houses, 30 yeah. yeah so there was this like interesting distribution of like different kinds of living situations like you mm -hmm. had these like big dorms with like maybe 50 people, like that was considered big, I guess, by the standards. Um, you know, every dorm had some faculty, heads of house, or what do we call them? Like, head, like dorm fact? Yeah, dorm, dorm fact, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And um, there were also these smaller houses that maybe had like 10 people. Yeah. Um, and so that was obviously a very different uh, style. Each dorm was single sex. Um, there were two dining halls. So there was one on the north side of campus, one on the south side of campus. So there was a bit of a north-south divide. Absolutely. Along the lines of like which dining hall you eat at, um, 
which dorms you like socialize with um the gym and like all the sports facilities were also on um the south side the right. south side i always get that mixed up thomas yeah but the, the cool side <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. i was uh, not on the cool side for yeah. the listeners too yeah uh yeah i was i was on i was on north side um but like i i would cross campus i guess fairly frequently because like i would go to to sports and stuff yeah but like i guess if you lived on south side you would really have no reason to come to some of the dorms on, I guess some of the academic buildings were there too. Or I guess, except, or except when Weatherall was Weatherall was, which was on the the north side. Yeah, yeah. Was you know they would be closed for the weekend, so we would have to go to Elm. Yeah, yeah. The, so there were certain the, situations the, that would force yeah, you to yeah, go yeah. to the other exactly. side, but otherwise you could kind of try to like stay within your bubble a bit, a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So there's like all these like interesting dynamics. I'm trying to think what other relevant context is there when we talk about social life. Um, you know, like we had, um, we had like curfew so like it was when you're a prep first year it's like 8 p.m then all same for second year and then 9 p.m yeah isn't that crazy you had to check in with your proctors you had to too. check in with your proctors and then it was like 10 p.m for like seniors or whatever and mm. then on, on saturday nights it was like 11 p.m you could stay out until 11 and that was like exciting so um, generous 11 yeah so generous um and you know there were some social events there'd be these kind of like kind of cringe dances and like the science Very building and dances, stuff yeah. but you know um actually actually they're pretty fun like, <laughs> there'd be a lot of food and like you know, party music and everything. And um, they remember these pizza deliveries? We oh my gosh! Yeah, people. Would, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there was like all this, all these little traditions. Yeah. Anyway, so that's just like setting some of the scene. But um, you know, as we alluded to, it depends mm-hmm. a lot on on sort of who your social group is and what the social life was like. So, do you want to speak a little? to that and what your experience of social life was like? I'd love to, Thomas. And. Um... I think this theme of you sort of get put into things without knowing, right, is, is huge, right? And, and that also, like, you know, means that if you don't necessarily get along well with or you're not content with the situation that you're put in, there was also not that much flexibility. It's not like you could just, you know, move to another dorm. I mean, there were cases where people are moved, but I definitely, if I remember correctly, it wasn't that easy, right? You'd have to get approvals and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it was kind of like the nuclear option. Nuclear like, option, whoa. exactly. Um, I had eight people so including myself there were eight people in my dorm habit uh we you know uh, turned out to be you know super super close we still have like a whatsapp i don't know why we use whatsapp but we have a whatsapp group uh, still you know very tight with these i'm still very tight with these kids having said that i think you know i I don't know if these any of my friends would be, you know, listening to my podcast at some point in the future. But just keeping things honest, I think there were definitely points of, con- you know, conflict, tension, obviously. Uh, but having said all of that, I think I am very, I was very blessed to be with these guys, with this group of friends, because I think, I mean, once again, I mean, one thing that you know, that where where I am different from Thomas is, again, the thing about me being just so Korean and not you know, knowing, getting any of this, like, American stuff. You know what I mean? I remember how the the first week we were watching some random YouTube videos. Um, I think it was some sort of, a like, a comedy channel. And I was just so confused, and I was just, like, sitting there just, like, fake laughing. You know what I mean? And I think I, to this day, sort of have this tendency to be very, like, to laugh a lot. And I've, like, sort of noticed that. Interestingly enough, when I was recording, when I was listening to the recording of the last episode just listening to 
the way I talk, I've never realized that I like laugh and just make these, you know, sounds, right? It's so much when I'm engaging in a conversation. But I think I developed a lot of that, a lot of that at Exeter. Um, Thomas did a lot of extracurriculars uh, for the listeners. Um, I was such an unathletic kid. I did not have... Oh, come on. You did track for a season uh, or two. For a season or two. Man, I was so bad at it. Um, But my first year, we had this prep spaz thing, you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, And then, yeah, I just felt so embarrassed doing it. But but it was a good time. It was good for me. Can you explain what that is? Yes, yes, absolutely. So for the context, if you are not... If you haven't done a lot of sports in middle school, so you're not good enough to, you know try out for a sport and get in or you just basically don't really know a lot of sports which was which was my case you got put into this you know first year mandatory um uh, sports class right you just go out and try out different different sports with with uh with other fellows in your class and we called it prep spaz very derogatory but um prep spaz was obviously not the official term but you know the students came up with that name and it was just a tradition so everybody called it prep spaz um, I remember fall term where I would go to, I tried out for soccer and I failed miserably, <laughs> but I remember how two of my other friends both got in and that just killed me inside. That just really killed me inside. Um, so I think, but I played music though. So, which was, which was good. I think in terms of that was sort of my outside of the dorm, the only social group that I had. I mean, I hung out with some of the kids in, in my orchestra and I think that also, in an interesting way, it became a positive feedback uh, cycle. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I touched on this in the last recording, but you know, I actually consider pursuing music professionally even after after high school. For oh, a I didn't bit. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's because I just felt most comfortable in the in the music building. Um, and I think the last thing that I want to uh, mention before I hand it over to Thomas is that I think it's. For the listeners, there might be the natural question of, if you are so Korean, then why don't you hang out with a lot of Korean kids, right, at Exeter? And um, I think I, and still, I, I think I would like, I like to think that I still keep in touch with them and I'm pretty close to them. But to be completely honest, I didn't really hang out with them a lot. And it was because of a very interesting incident. So, um, no, obviously no names will be named, but... Uh, I went back home, um, I think for for Christmas or Thanksgiving, I don't remember, uh, first year. And then I overheard my parents talk to each other, right? So these these, uh, Korean kids at Exeter, their moms would have these annual meetings in Korea. So uh, my mom was telling my dad and I was just hearing it, hearing the conversation from my room. So I don't think to this day, I've I've never told my parents that I've heard about this. But apparently my mom went to that meeting. There are all the moms... You know, sitting around a table and then they had to go around and introduce themselves and not talk about their jobs but what their husbands do right very interesting right yeah and then this you know my dad's a professor uh and you know like it's it's an expensive school right it's an expensive school expensive you know tuition and um my mom you know stood up said you know my husband's a professor and then this other uh, mom sitting across from the table apparently went oh wow interesting then you know how are you affording exeter right <laughs> she, she literally wow. went like that yeah. and, and i think you know looking back and you know, i would love to touch upon the, the the elements of anxiety the elements of you know stoicism and all that but i was young 
And I think that really, really messed with me when I was young. So I think very unfairly to my Korean friends at Exeter, but I think I had this very strong innate, I had built a wall, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, screw that. I'm not going to hang out with these kids. I, you know, I'm in the U.S. for a reason. So I think, but, but I do regret that a little bit. You know, it's, it's too, it's too, you know, no fault of the kid. Um, and I honestly think it was just, you know, you know, pure, pure communications, I think was also, you know, an element of that, but yeah, you know, there was that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting how the status anxiety extends, not just among the students, but among their families, among the parents. families too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, they're definitely, it can feel like this, um, I don't know, like panopticon where like you're being watched in some in some way or like you're you're like you're constantly under um pressure from some source and it's not always clear what the source is it might Mm -hmm. be imagined it might be sort of this imagined sense of like if i do anything it's somehow gonna get out to my friends or my parents back in korea in your case or or some other thing um which is interesting it's sort of a bit of a paradox because one of the reasons that people go to boarding school or one of the defining features i think is the sort of removed nature of it and that you are away from your family and you do have a bit more autonomy and independence and so there's this jarring sense of okay i have this freedom i can develop my own personality my own um, value system independently from my parents but at the same time you know within certain communities or sub communities you might not actually be that far um that's quite interesting yeah yeah um so, okay, so you mentioned that that sort of caused you to, to steer a bit away from um, like that particular group of, of students. I but... do think it helped a lot in terms of assimilation to the okay. U.S. culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like what, what like kinds of social groups did you end up being? Yeah, so like my music friends and then definitely my avid friends. It was just such a core group of, it was just core, such a core element of my social life at Exeter. Um, I honestly can name another group that I'm tighter with. Um, yeah. Very simple. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's really cool. Um, what about you, Thomas? Yeah. So, yeah, as I mentioned, um, you know, I, I did, I think, develop some some really meaningful relationships with uh, guys from my dorm, Main Street. In fact, I just had a call uh, with my good friend, Efosa. Who, uh, I don't know if Ifosa. you remember. Yeah. Shout out to Efosa if you're listening. Um, who, you know, we were friends since prep year, you know, when we were 14. Um, and have stayed in touch and, you know, a lot of other people, too many to name, but, um, you know, there was sort of like this main street breakfast table in the dining hall. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was sort of the case that you could just go into the dining hall and know that there would be a table of people there that you can just sit down at, um, you know, which I found to be quite different than the experience when you go to college where, you know, there's a, there's an increase in the size of the campus, maybe like one order of magnitude larger, right? But that makes all the difference in the sense that you can't just walk into a, most college dining halls and be like, oh, here's a table where I know all my friends will be at no matter like what time I go there. Um, but there was this sort of table. I remember like have a lot of, uh, you know, I'd usually be rolling into breakfast like 10 minutes before class started and, you know, just trying to like wolf down some cereal. But still, like there's a table of people you can sit Relatable at. content. Yeah. Uh, also in the dining hall, there was this like, yes. so I ate in the fishbowl, which was this sort of, I mean, it's called the fishbowl because it was a room with like a bunch of glass windows looking out over the outside um, in Weatherall Dining Hall. Uh, but there was this group of people that would sit in the round table in the corner, um, mostly, yeah, from the north side of campus, different dorms. Um 
I guess it was just a friend group that like organically developed. Yeah. Um, and so there was, I think a lot of, you know, individual like subgroups that might've kind of merged at some point. And so it wasn't the case that like every person at this table, I was like personally good friends with, like some of them, I probably had never had a one-on-one conversation with, but I would see them like all the time, all the time at like lunches and dinners. Um, and so that's interesting. Like you can have this like phenomenon where there's a friend group, there's this posse and the sort of strength of the one-on-one relationships can vary a lot from like really, really tight to like, I don't even know this person outside of this like dining hall table. Um, I remember being good friends with, you know, some people that I guess I just met organically, like through classes and stuff. Um, you know, I grew up with three sisters. Um, I think I like in my, at least in my first year, I guess I just found it easier to be friends with girls than with guys. I mean, I did have friends from my dorm, which was a guy's dorm, but you know, um, I think there was a part of me that was just like used to hanging out with my three sisters at home. Um, me and my friends would always look at Thomas and be like, Oh man, Thomas got game. I don't look know. At all see, those see, now that's like, it. that's the Gen Z coming out. It's like people being like, Oh, you got Riz or like whatever. I don't know. Like at the time I feel like it was just like, this is like the people that it feels like natural to hang out with or whatever. I don't know. I, there is like a certain nostalgia of like looking back at, you know, the kinds of social activities that, people who are 14, 15 think are fun. Like you can literally be like, let's watch a movie mm-hmm. and play card games. And even though curfew is at, you know, 11 PM on a Saturday and, you know, boys have to get checked in with the dorm faculty if they want to visit their friends in a girl's dorm. Like there's all these kind of constraints, but like, that's still like, wow, that's like a fun thing to do. It's like, let's just go watch a movie on a laptop in a dorm room, you know? Um, like I, I mean, I'm sure people, you know, people smoked weed, people drank like that. It's not like those things didn't exist, but like very little of the sort of overt social life, at least in my experience, actually revolved around those things. And a lot of it was just about having your friends and talking and long hours in the dining hall, going for walks and getting ice cream and walking along the parkway. There's this like Swayze Parkway next to the river. And Man, what was that ice cream shop called, Thomas? Stillwells. Still Stillwells. And they had $2 ice cream, which is unimaginable yep. now yep. Uh, living in Boston. Um, and yeah, so, I, you know, it's if I wanted to, I could paint, I think, a very rosy picture of like, oh, it's this idyllic, you know, boarding school campus and this like bucolic New England setting and a bunch of friends hanging out and super wholesome and getting ice cream and doing this and going to like the Chinese restaurant in town. And, you know, like all these little things that, that you could do with the autonomy that you had. And like, you know, you were 14, but you were like trying to act like an adult and try to figure out how to like, you know, leave the right tip on a, you know, on a order at a restaurant and split the bill with your friends and like figuring out all these kind of things (laughs) for the first time. Um, so there was that, like, I think positive aspect. Um, I think like, well, okay. I guess it's not necessarily on the negative side, but yeah, just to address, I guess some of the, I guess, um, unique features of social life in boarding school. And you mentioned some of the sort of, um, sense of status and like hierarchy that that may exist um you know i do think that like people would talk about like prep posse or something do you remember 100%. that 100 yeah, percent. yeah yeah so like there was like every year there would be like a group of people that people would refer to as prep posse <laughs> which would just basically mean like the popular kids in the prep year yep and there would just always be some group and they're just popular and it would be like why is this group popular but other people aren't like i guess usually they were like maybe athletes uh, I, I i just remember like being an athlete came with a certain like 
sort of visible status in the sense that like pe- you'd see people in the dining hall wearing like a boathouse or something. Oh, a boathouse is like yeah. the sort of varsity jacket yep. that you get for like being on a sports team. And you know, you're like, oh, that person's legit. And people would be like, there'd be these kind of whispers and like rumors. And you know, that can be, I think, quite toxic in a way, but it's the way you learn a lot of the values and sort of like what is considered high status, mm-hmm. getting back to the topic of yeah, status anxiety. But I remember just like hearing like things like, wow, that person is like, only a prep, but they're already a varsity athlete. Yeah, like they're yeah, such yeah. a beast, you know. Or he has like two bow houses. Yeah, right? yeah, Because yeah. he's like a d- dual varsity, tri varsity athlete. Yeah, tri varsity. Yeah, tri-varsity, it was like a big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm sure that's like that applies to just high school experiences. That's in general, true. That's beyond true. Boring school. Oh well, yeah, right? for sure. But but there is definitely that like the garment aspect of like yeah. oh I own this piece of clothing, or like even applies to like other clubs that were considered like. I guess kind of like sought after a very coveted clubs like mock trial or debate team. They would have yeah, their yeah. own. You uniforms. wear your gear. You wear yeah, your stuff. You wear yeah. gear. It's like a signal of, of status. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe some of that is like sort of common to high school in general or even college campuses. But yeah, there's this, it felt like there was this unique twist on it because you're always around these people. You 100%. can't escape it. So it's like, yeah, you're three meals a day. You're surrounded by these visible signs of status. Man, it gave me so much anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. You know, um, and I eventually did join um, like a sport and I, I did cross country and track. It's probably like the easiest way to become a tri-varsity athlete is to just run year round. Cause it's like, you just do cross country, <laughs> indoor track and outdoor track. You're doing one sport, but like it's three different sports. Um, you know, some people did like three actually totally different sports. Um, but yeah, it just sort of like, that became like one of my main social groups, I'd yep. say. Um, you know, you spend a lot of hours with each other, you go on runs and, you know, for most runs, you're like talking, you know, while you run after practice, you're hanging out, you're stretching, you're rolling out, you're doing all other stuff that you have to do to take care of yourself. Like we wouldn't just spend hours, not hours, okay, but we would spend like, uh, like we'd finish practice. And then like, even after finishing, like we'd be doing all these other things like stretching and stuff. And then we'd go to the ice bath in the trainer's room. So we'd like get inside this ice bath and fill it up with like 15 skinny cross country runners to like make our muscles heal faster. Uh, but there was this, you know, there was this sense of like the team camaraderie of, of being part of that. And then, you know, all going to the dining hall together as a big group. And then, you know, walking back to your dorm, a lot of people in my dorm main street were also uh, runners. Uh, and you know, that ended up being, I think like a big defining, um, social group for me. And yeah, I don't know what it would have looked like if I hadn't decided to, to join that, but yeah, like there definitely were, it was the kind of campus where you could kind of know everyone in your year. Like you kind of know who everyone is. You've probably met or seen like pretty much everyone in your class. Yeah. But it's big enough that like you need to have some sort of sub group or sub community to be a part of. Like 100%. you can't just be one person among 300. Yep. You know, you, you have to have some, some kind of group. Yeah, dorm group, sports group, something like that. And it almost felt like we were always defined by our activities, mm-hmm. right? It was like, oh, that guy does like whatever. Yeah. You know, he's known for a mock trial. He's known for track. He's known for like, I don't know, like lacrosse, like something. It was, there was always something. And, and I would almost argue, go so far as to say that like we had our own school newspaper and that had a huge impact on how people viewed each other. You know how like the senior of the week or oh, senior, yeah, senior musician of the, week, of the yeah. week or stuff like that was, was just... And people would just talk about it, you know, and just like people would say like, oh, congratulations on it or, or whatever. And being an editor, editor in chief of that, of the newspaper, I was also very coveted. All that stuff. Yeah. What's it called? The, the Exonian? The Exonian. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. Um, 
and yeah all these other kinds of things where you'd have like assemblies and sometimes you have like a student yeah. like you know you assemble the entire school like yep. 1,000 people in one room yeah and they usually bring in some speakers well you never skipped an assembly but, oh okay <laughs> one i skipped one assembly once um, i skipped a couple yeah yeah um but like yeah you could like Sometimes it'd be like a student group doing like a performance, which was cool, or it'd be like some external speaker. Um, I remember for like debate, we had like, we had to do like a 20 minute debate in front of the whole school um, to like advertise for our, our group. Um, yeah, they have like prize assembly where they just like give out prize. Like that was a little toxic. I think in my senior year, they like skipped that and they just like handed out booklets instead oh, of like yeah, announcing right. every single prize. They, just, right. like, they were just like, let's just print them all in a booklet and then- yep. Which I think is much healthier than... A lot healthier. Literally making everyone sit there and just like rattle off names. That was like the most skipped assembly for sure. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So there's all these like intricacies of um, social life in boarding school. Um, and yeah, I mean, do you want to say any more about like your, your dorm community and like maybe like the relationship with like the faculty or the, with the proctors, like with the sort of authority figures and like hierarchies that existed within the dorm. You're right. You're right. I, I think it's very interesting. I mean, I, I, you mentioning all of these experiences, assemblies and everything just brings back so many memories. I think because I didn't really have a strong, I don't, I, you know, I, I'd like to think, I don't know if I'm remembering it correctly, but I don't think I necessarily had a huge presence on campus. So it's like, for me, instead of, you know, sort of channeling my, I guess, my desire for recognition or whatever you want to call it through external activities, I think I really just pointed it inwards, you know, into the communities that I felt very comfortable with. Yeah. So I think I was almost sort of forced from a young age to think about, you know, the, the quality of my relationships more than the quantity of my relationships. I don't think I necessarily had a lot of like, you know, the super many friends that I would just like, you know, kind of walk around with like those big groups, as you said, like the prep posse or whatever. So I put a lot of effort into, I guess, my relationships in my dorm. And then interestingly enough, more than any other accolades or anything like that, even going on assembly, I just really wanted to be a proctor. So that was like a, that was like, a, you know, you get, so proctor is, you know, if you are, I think you vote for proctorship, right? So yeah, you get yeah. elected. And so the kids in the dorm would, you know, elect a proctor. And then there aren't that many duties, honestly, you know, you can just really make it into whatever you want it to be, right? But the, the, the mandatory duties are you're checking on kids, you know, curfews and stuff like that. So I was just so delighted to be elected a proctor, I think, my senior year. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm really answering your question here, Thomas, but it's like, yeah, I think long story short, I really channeled my energy toward making just my experience and my friend's experiences at Abbott better. And I think what I did a lot, even after classes, you know, but what I did voluntarily when nobody asked me to do is just always check up on kids. You know, so I think I did a lot of that as I became more senior. Um, I think it's because I never really had that person uh, that is not a faculty. Because it's like, I, 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 you know, once again, I had really good dorm facts, I think. Um, Mr. McLaughlin, Michael McLaughlin, who was a chemistry teacher, a dorm fact, great guy. Mama, Russian teacher. I know, Thomas, you took Russian classes. Yeah, so you, yeah, you yeah. had her yes. um, as your teacher, but she, we called her Mama. Uh, her real name is Ina. 
Um, but we called her mama because she was just really the mom figure of our dorm. And she would just always check up on kids. And she just had a very, uh, very interesting sense of humor. She'd be so straightforward. Um, I miss her a lot. But yeah, I, I it's what I'm where I'm where I'm going with this is there's it's interesting. I don't know how to describe this. There's this dichotomy, right, of independence, but also control in boarding school. Yeah. There's a lot of control over your, I guess, in terms of manifested in the form of curfews and whatnot, checking with, you know, with faculty and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of independence uh, or rather lack of supervision. Right. You would have these, you know, weekly or monthly check ins with your advisor and stuff like that. But I've always sort of felt that that was not that helpful. Right. Or maybe I was just twisted and I didn't really think of it as like a genuine advice. It always felt like, oh, these guys are just doing their jobs. Yeah. Right. So I think what I really benefited the most from was that, you know, the, the guy that I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Ted, that warm hug. Right. So I think I really wanted to be that guy who could be like the Ted of, of Abbott for, you know, these these younger kids coming in. And I had a couple of, you know, inter- Abbott had a couple of international kids and I just, I just, you know, understood them, you know, yeah. they're, they're going through a lot. So I just wanted to be that mentor for them. So, yeah, I mean, that's my quick elaboration on dorm faculty. Thomas, I know you're going to do a much better job. No, no, no. That was actually really interesting. I'm like really glad you brought that up. I think like you learned lessons and like, I think formed values that took me much, much longer to, to form and realize like, like what you were saying about having that experience of like being welcomed and being received by, by like an older trusted figure in the dorm and then wanting to like create that for like the next generation. I think that takes like a certain maturity and a certain like sense of perspective of like, Oh, like I can actually, I have the power to like make life better for younger people, like people coming into this, who are going to inherit it even after I leave. Uh, and I think I just like completely lacked that self-awareness at when I was in high school. Like, I think I was very, um, in, in a way, very self-absorbed. I think I mentioned, like, I just wanted my own single. I wanted to have my own place. I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to get into a good college. You know, I cared, I think I cared a lot about like the status thing, right? Like I cared a lot what people thought Yeah. about me. I, I wanted to be perceived as a good student, you know, smart. Um, I wanted to be perceived as an athlete, you know, all this stuff. But I, I didn't really put that much thought into how I could use the positions that I had to like make life better for like the younger students. Like I think in my senior year, like I barely knew this, the like the preps in my dorm, you know, like I might have known their names, might have. Um, and I like I genuinely look back and I feel kind of bad about that. I, I think it like it actually took specific experiences in my life to change mm. the way I think about that. And, you know, mm-hmm. now I'm like a. I'm a residential advisor, just just for context. Like I live in a undergrad dorm. And so like I take care of 90 college students with my like partner GRA across the hall. And it's like, it's a huge part of like who I am. And it's like Mm -hmm. a huge source of like the the meaning and purpose that I like experience. But um, at at the time in high school, I think I just hadn't come to the realization that like I, I have the power to like be a difference for someone in in like a positive way. I sounds like kind of silly, but like, you know, even what you were saying about like reaching out to people, checking in on them, you know, seeing that someone might be looking down and sort of asking them if they want to like talk or just go for a walk or, you know, just extending that, that like olive branch, that, that, that arm that reaches out to someone, uh, when they might be in need, or even if they might not be in need at all, but just, you know, to get to know them, to, to make them feel appreciated. 
um, you know, I, that like didn't occur to me. I think like a turning point was probably even after I graduated from high school and like, I had like very positive experiences doing something called outdoor action in, in college, which was like the outdoor orientation program. And so it's all about like leading trips to like facilitate, you know, um, like, uh, uh, incoming freshmen to, to become oriented and like build community and make some friends like as they're starting this, this new chapter in their lives. Um, and I had such a positive experience with that and then trained to become a leader. And that's where like, I learned so much of like what I know about community building and like group dynamics. Um, so like that, and then two years being a high school teacher and like sort of observing from this outsider perspective, like all the dynamics that go on in high school, I think like really fundamentally altered the way I see that and the way I view like my agency in like how the actions that I can take can affect other people positively or negatively. So yeah, like, I think like what you described was like just so lacking for me. No, at that no, time, no. yeah. And Thomas, I think you're being too hard on yourself. It's it's like a lot of it is also driven by the fast-paced nature of, of Exeter, right? It's just like it's almost was sort of the beginning of my rat race in life, you know, when everybody is just like so anxious about everything. And we talked about dining halls too. So even going to a dining hall over the weekend, right, that, that sort of that, that cool side because the other one was shut down, like that was also a source of anxiety for a lot of kids. Yeah, yeah. And I had a kid in my dorm who would just like, order so much every day and uh, you know that was a clear sign of anxiety you know it's not like he didn't like the food he just always needed company to somebody to go to these dining halls with yeah yeah so you know that's that's yeah it's the good and goods and bads of of boarding school life yeah yeah i mean you have to like live to learn you know it's you like have a, to. <laughs> um you don't you don't learn in the abstract you learn by experiencing um but yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, okay, that's, there's a lot more, I guess, that could be said about, like, dorms and, and dorm culture and all that, but I feel like, yeah, we had such, maybe different, but also the, the, enough overlapping. There's some common themes. Common themes, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I mean, if we got, like, three other people from our, even our own boarding school here to talk, like, they would each probably have three totally different experiences as well. Absolutely. Uh, which we should do that sometime. We should. <laughs> we should bring in guests in future episodes. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. for sure. For sure. Um, should we talk a bit about the academics? Because I feel like we haven't done that at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do it. Um, very interesting. So for the listeners' context, we had this thing called the Harkness Method. I actually don't know where the name comes from. The Harkness is the guy who made the round table. Is that right? He, well, I don't know if he made the tables, but yeah. uh, he was some rich guy who Super. donated a lot of money. Yeah, and classic. I think he originally tried to donate the money to Yale. <laughs> to Yale. And then he like had basically a lot of ideas about pedagogy and like mm -hmm. you have to use the system that I that I created where you have like everything's a seminar and you just sit around and discuss. And Yale was like, keep your money. <laughs> um, and he was like, fine, I'll go to Exeter. And yeah, then, yeah. like basically he stipulated that I'm going to give you this huge amount of money, but you have to like do this thing where you turn all your classes into into seminars with, mm. you know, um, basically like average class size of like 12 students and you sit around a round table yeah. and you discuss stuff so whether it's an english class or a history class or even a math class or a science class like you're all sitting at this table and discussing but that's the thing even a math class or a science class you know like sitting you know going to these stem classes in college made me think like wow that was such a weird way to learn math yeah you know what i mean at some point i feel like yeah even at exeter i think my senior year taking some math classes i was like there is really not that much to discuss. I wish you could just taught me, sat me down, and I would just like memorize formulas and stuff like that, and just like try to study. But yeah, it's just that that element of discussion was just so baked into every single class that we had. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because I think, you know, um, for math, I, like, didn't like math that much before mm-hmm. Exeter. Um, and I think the Harkness approach to math made me really fall in love with math, really? actually. But then I kind of agree with you that at the higher levels, like, once we started getting into, like, multivariable calculus, it got to the point where, like, 12 kids sitting around trying to discuss it yeah. was sort of inadequate for like covering the complexity of the material. And I do think that like once I got to college lectures and it was like for better or for worse, like the way math is taught in college is not in that style. Mm. It's sort of like a professor writing equations on the blackboard and you're mm-hmm. like following a bunch of examples. And there's a fair amount of just memorization and like muscle memory of like doing a bunch of problems. Um, but like, I think at least at the lower levels, like, having a very intuitive and like visual approach to problem solving discussing like not just this is the one right answer this is the one formula for getting it but like there are many ways to get to the answer like one of the things that i loved was that someone would present a problem and they might get the right answer but the professor wouldn't move on like the teacher would wouldn't say okay that's the answer let's move to the next problem it'd be like great does anyone have a different way to solve it and some people might someone else might get up and present a completely different way of solving the problem and getting the same answer that used like a different kind of intuition or was simpler or was more elegant or was worse or whatever. And so I have like a lot of memories that are very positive about the way math was taught. But yeah, I share some of your your feelings of like, it may not, at a certain level, it may not have prepared me in the greatest way for, for college math, but um for the yeah. listeners that's how we know thomas was a good student and I, no. was a, I was just a pessimistic cynical kid and it's just like oh let's move on no you're right you're right yeah it definitely broadens your perspective on you know approaching things that's true but i mean i will say this though i was always stressed out about how i present myself in classes mm, yeah 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 in terms of what words i would use and even my tone the way i speak up and it's just like Participation was always baked into the grades. Oh, yeah. You know? Participation was huge. It was huge. So it's like, I think it did really set me up well for, you know, humanities classes in college. And, you know, it actually played a huge role in me determining, me deciding to be a poli-sci major in college. Because I just, you know, clearly we're doing this podcast, you know, shows us, shows to listeners that we just love talking. But um, I never really consider myself as, a, you know, consider myself eloquent at all. But I, I and, and. I, it was going to these classes was always a source of anxiety and stress to me. And, and you know, I, I know that we're jumping around in topics a little bit, but presentation, not in just a form of words, but also how you literally just, you know, look yeah, the way you dress. dress. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would should. Yeah. We, we should have talked about dress code. Oh, dress code. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 uh, we do need to talk about dress code. I believe they don't have it anymore. Is that right? So I was actually just in the dining hall here at MIT. Mm-hmm and bumped into a student who had gone to Exeter, but like 10 years after us. And I was like asking her a ton of questions. Like, oh, is this teacher still there or whatever, whatever. And she was like, yeah, the dress code is basically like, don't like, there are standards, but like kind of in the sense of like, don't wear like a tank top or like gym clothes. To really? But it's like, you could, like a lot of people apparently do wear t-shirts Wow. and get away with it. Um, like basically when we were there, you could wear jeans. Like the only real restriction was like for guys, collared shirt and tie. Yeah. And then for Dude, girls. But that's so much. Yeah. But like you didn't have to wear a uniform and you didn't yeah, have to yeah, wear true. a jacket. You didn't have true. to wear a suit. And you, you could wear jeans. You could wear flip flops. Like that was all completely fine. It really? Was really, no, just, really? Were we allowed to use uh, to wear flip flops? Were we not? Okay. I, I To be honest, I never wore <laughs> flip flops. So maybe, okay. okay. Maybe I have to take that one back. But you could wear jeans. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, but 
And you could wear like a tie no matter how ridiculous it was. Like I remember wearing like a plaid tie with a plaid shirt and like no one would call me out on that. And well, okay. A teacher didn't call me out on that. Other students may have. Um, But yeah, nowadays I think it's much more relaxed. Mm. But do you remember how on the school newspaper there was a section about like the... What was it called? Trends? Yeah, trend, uh, trend, uh, trendsetters. I I don't know. It was trend something. But it was just like basically these guys... Trend watch, right? Trend watch, yeah. Some kids who obviously, you know, who apparently dress well according to the standards of these these editors would get a shout out every week. Yeah, it was just such a... So interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not that not, not healthy. Status thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's like you know, like some people just can afford access to yeah. nicer clothes now. But it wasn't like okay, you're wearing you know designer clothes. But it was like, you know, if you had the access to the resources to like access unique, interesting clothing. I mean, some people would go thrifting and all that. But um, yeah, it was interesting how that would interact with with stuff and how you pre- I, going back to like the Harkness yeah. class and like how you present yourself. I think like a lot of people. I think learned implicitly like maybe not like they weren't consciously thinking this but i think implicitly learned to cultivate a persona yep in class yep and like to sound smart Mm -hmm. sound even like mysterious or like sort of have an aura around you Mm -hmm. because like so much of the way teachers view you and grade you is based on how you talk in class yeah uh, and of course they're like human beings and their their grading of you is subjective and like even the way they read your paper might be biased by the way you present yourself in class. Yeah. And if you can cultivate the right persona, yep. I mean, it can very like significantly, I think, help you even just like grade wise, but not yeah. just grade wise, but also like in the esteem and the sort of invisible respect and status that 100%. you sort of receive. 100%. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's it was really a lot more about the packaging than the content inside is how I remember and how I feel. Yeah, it was a bit of a wake-up call going to college after mm-hmm. that, and you're in a big lecture hall, and, like, no one cares, like, how you present yourself or dress unless you're in, like, one of those, like, a small class. But yeah. it's not, if you're, like, going and becoming a computer science major at a big university, it's not going to make any difference. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Does it, yeah, sort of one of the questions we had, we had discussed is, like, does boarding school prepare you well for college? Um, mm. And I don't know if you have thoughts on that question. I think... The separation from your family, yes. Um, how you sound, yes. Um, this is such a hard question, honestly. I mean, like, it's it's easy to say, oh, yeah, it was like college was easier economically or whatever. Like, you know, it was not as competitive. You could say all of that, right? And also, I feel like I slept a lot more in college, which, which helped. I was always so sleep deprived in high school. Um, having said all of that, I think it took me a little bit of time to really put my guard down and form meaningful relationships in college. I think I still went into college. I remember the first week of college going in, uh, thinking like, oh, it's it's competition all overall. Like I have to, like as I did in high school, like I need to some sort, I need to sort of establish my position, right? And in my, in my class and I need to sort of like develop this persona and I have to like just, you know, garner respect from other people. Um, which I think was very unhealthy for me my freshman year. So I think my sophomore year, I really just let my guard down a lot more and then just focused on the quality of the relationships. And I, I am, I think it's safe to say that looking back to my both experiences, I had a much better time in college. Yeah. I think in terms of just social life. Yeah. I don't know. How about you, Thomas? 
Yeah. Um, did it prepare me well for college? I don't know. I, I, I think it could have, but I don't necessarily think I took advantage of that. I don't know. Um, I think like I, I kind of got used to that relatively small environment where mm -hmm. it's a bit of a bubble and you kind of know everyone and everyone kind of knows you vaguely at least. Um, and like teachers know you personally yeah, and like appear somewhat invested in you. I think, I think that was one thing that boarding school did pretty well is like the small class sizes and like the dorm faculty and everything for all the flaws and for all the, you know, bad things that can also proceed from like that. I mean, there've been like multiple cases of uh, like sexual abuse and assault of uh, students by, by teachers, even at our school and other boarding schools. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, sometimes they were, they had too much access to students, mm -hmm. but also that you had these students like, you know, you would go through your day and like every teacher would know you by first and last name and know something about you. And you would live in a dorm where, you know, at, at least to some degree you are, you are known by, by the supposedly, you know, uh, authority figures, um, in your life. And I, I found that going to college all of a sudden, well, first of all, there's like the being used to being a big fish in a small pond kind of phenomenon. And then you go to college and suddenly like you're surrounded by people who also were like really good at school in high school. Um, and I think I had a hugely inflated sense of like how talented I was or whatever, you know, and like hugely inflated sense of like my own worth. Not like everyone is worth a lot, but you know, inflated like sense of, of like where I already was and like how much I, like maybe uh, I, I needed to have just a little more humility of like, I need to do a lot more to like succeed in, in college or like do more, do, I don't know. I, I need to, um, even if it's like having just more humility towards, towards your coursework or towards, um, mentorship from, from older students. Like I remember having this assembly just for seniors. It was an assembly, like just for seniors in high school. And one of the teachers, he was a, like a Latin teacher and he had gone to Exeter. So he was like an alumnus as well as a teacher. And his name was on that, like, wooden board that you walk by every day right in the academy building of all the valedictorians you know and it's like golden letters his name was right there and he's one of the teachers and it's like he had been like the top student at the school in like the 90s or something uh, and he gave us this talk and saying like you know i i was in your shoes you know i was there where you were i thought i was hot shit, you know and then i went off to yale and i was like sorely sorely humbled you know of like figuring out that i'm mm -hmm. not as I'm not as special as I think I am. Mm -hmm. And so he gave that warning and I kind of dismissed it, but I think it ended up being completely right in the sense that in college, like it's not true that everyone knows you, your professors don't know your name yep. for the most part. Um, at least not in the, the major that I was, uh, there's no, there was no dorm faculty. Like there was no sort of like residential staff who knew who I was. Um, you could literally drift through college and kind of be like a loner for four years. Like there, no one is there to like make sure you don't fall through the cracks. I mean, maybe you could argue that they should, there should be. And I think like, for example, as like an RA now, like part of my job is to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks. Um, but there was nothing like that, nothing comparable to that at Princeton. Yeah. Um, and so in that sense, I think like Exeter actually gave me like a inflated expectations about what to expect in college. And I found at least at various points in college being like pretty just like disoriented and sort of this weird disconnect between my expectations and the reality. Uh huh. Thank you for the candor. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it's so interesting. I, 
it's so clear that everybody's experience varies so much, right? And um, that inflated sense, 100%, I think, I'm going to be just brutally honest here. I think first year of college, I just wore my Exeter gear around a lot. And part of it was just because my wardrobe was just very limited, but also that, you know, being totally honest, I think I definitely enjoyed, I guess, just wearing it around, right? It's just like kind of a, you know, contributing to my, I guess, sense of sense of ego um, did not take me long to for all of that to fade away, obviously. But yeah, very, very. Yeah, I mean, honestly, every moment of my life so far has definitely has definitely been those moments of just, you know, very humbling moments. Um, we do have to talk about the college admissions parts. Of yeah, Exeter. let's do it. I would love to talk about that. Um, so to set the scene a little bit, right, um, I applied early to college. Um, so early decisions, so I only honestly applied to just one college, and that was my experience. But it's, yeah, no, it was very stressful. You know, obviously there is very competitive. Kids always just was trying to sort of probe, right, where everybody else was applying. I think a lot of kids tried to do some sort of internal math, right? It was just like, oh, like he's applying there, like they're applying there, like what's what's my chances? Like, is that going to be affecting me or something like that? And then these young kids would always ask seniors for advice after they get into college. I don't know. There was a lot of toxicity, honestly. Um, and then I still remember how the college admissions week for early decisions, people in the class would always ask each other, not where did you apply? But it was like, oh, what day of the week do you find out? Because like all these people, you oh, know yeah. that, Thomas? That would, that would like, give you enough that information. That would give you enough information to, to do that. Um, but, you know, I actually have a story about this, but but Thomas, um, um, I think I, I talked a lot. So let me pause there and, and hand it over to you. Wait, but, but I, I want to hear the more. story. Okay. No, no, so, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, this is going to, this might be a little bit of a uh, kind of a dark side of my, the, the, definitely one of the darkest moments. I started off by saying how much these eight kids, you know, and Abbott mean to me, right? And um, so for listeners' context, I applied to Dartmouth College and I got in. And Dartmouth was the, the, the first school that released admission news, um, I think, one of the first schools. So I found out the earliest. And, um, you know, for, you know but the friends were very nice to me, uh, you know, congratulating me. And I was very happy. I felt like that was, I never really thought of college as like the, it was like, as like a, you know, a sense of validation or anything like that. I honestly was kind of in moments at Exeter. I almost considered going back to Korea a couple of times for college. I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, I was kind of jaded about my experience in the U.S. I was like, I was very entertaining the thought of going back to Korea, and I was also struggling with the idea of per, you know pursuing music professionally as well. So I was grappling with a lot of different things, but I was happy. And then I remember how. Two of these, two of these friends of mine, um, they got into uh, other, you know, respective schools. So, you know, one of them got into Harvard, one of them got into Princeton, and then um, I, we were at like a, our uh, this this eight group of friends. We went out for dinner, and then on the way out of the restaurant, I still clearly remember this because this really messed my, with my head for the longest time, and I still think it contributes a lot to my anxiety just in life and status anxiety. But when the three of us were leaving, the two kids in the back 
were talking about how they had like a dinner plan with this other girl in a different dorm that they like we never really hung out right these avid kids never really hung out with her but all of a sudden senior year they got the three of them got super close to each other um and then this guy uh they, they were having a dinner so i was like oh can i join and then I asked that question. I turned around and I was like walking out and these two guys were following me. And I heard from the back very faintly the the guy who got into Harvard was like, oh, you know, like he thinks he can join this dinner. Like he thinks that Dartmouth can join this, you know, Harvard, you know, Yale, Princeton dinner. Man, wow, like damn. I know, I know this is, we were young. I know we were young, but man, like I could not sleep that night. Wow. I know, I know this is dark, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it really messed with my head for the longest, longest time. And, you know, like, I think, you know, I can say this now because I, I had gone to Dartmouth. I, I honestly can't imagine a school that would have been better for me. Honestly, like for me, it was just such a good four years of experience, even with the hiatus of two years of my military, you know, between um, that probably like did not make it as as you know, good as it could have been. Um, but even with that, it was so good for me to be because it was a strong sense of community, which I think I didn't necessarily have beyond Abbott at Exeter, right? And um, I talk a lot about how much Abbott meant to me. So that was just such a brutal just blow to my, not only to my sense of confidence, but just trust in these kids. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And also Dartmouth is, you know, I'm going to be brutally honest. It doesn't have the same name recognition, right? In international communities, like a lot of, not, not a lot of Korean people have heard it. It's, it's, it's stuff like that. So it just really, so I think in terms of when I, after I got into college, I was like, oh, I want to get a good job. You know what I mean? It just always, there's, it, it instilled such a strong sense of rat race in me in that moment that honestly was kind of like my driving force in life for the longest time until recently i would say until until last last year honestly yeah and then last year i you know started looking more into you know stoicism and how not to have to let go of things how to not care but man yeah that's my story you wanted to hear it no <laughs> no thanks for sharing that and thanks yeah thanks for the honesty um i do think that like it was weird at exeter because there was this sort of um at least a pretense of kind of being sort of diplomatic about college admissions because it's such a, such a sensitive topic. So like at some, at some like, um, non-boarding schools, non-prep schools, for example, they'll have like a college day where like everyone wears their college acceptance, you know, yeah. gear and they like line them up in the gym and they have a ceremony and they take pictures and the kids who get into the really good schools are in the front and you know, the kids who don't are in the back. Like it's really messed up. And like the school that I taught at, for example, when I was a high school teacher, like if someone got into like a big name school or something, um, they would like blast them all over like the social media and make like a big deal out of it because they like look good for the school. Uh, and they talk all the time about, you know, this person, like congratulations to this person for getting in, you know. Um, and at Exeter, I feel like it was a bit muted in the sense that like there was kind of this sense that it was like not socially acceptable to like blast out to everyone. Hey, I got into Harvard, you know, or hey, I got into Dartmouth or hey I got into Princeton or whatever um and like the faculty wouldn't be like calling out names and you know at the sort of school-wide level and the thing you said about like which day of the week do you find yeah. out right but there was this like posturing around that Absolutely. where it's like they still want to know people want to know and they're still going to talk and they're still going to gossip and maybe behind your back sometimes 
um, but not in this very overt way. That's right. Um, which is is weird in its own way. Um, I felt this too as well. Like I remember being like moderately stressed out during like the whole college admissions thing. I applied early and like I guess fortunately like I applied early to one place and fortunately got in, so I didn't have to like deal with the whole like spring admissions day which was like sort of oh my gosh like getting all these acceptances for different schools i, I just kind of got it over with one and done um but um yeah it was it can be brutal like the way people like just suddenly like people who've been your friend for like four and years just turn yeah you know? it, it can be it can be it can be tough um i remember yeah just just thinking and like i don't know like realizing that these friendships that you've had, you're all going to go to different places now. Mm-hmm. And I, I did feel like there was this sense in like the second half of senior year, especially this almost kind of like nihilism towards high school of like, this was a good place for four years, but we're all, we're all moving on. Like, you know, like I'm going off to this school or whatever. Yeah. Senioritis got me senior hard. Senioritis. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the, what we called it. Yeah. And you just sort of stop caring about yeah about some of the things that, that like you become kind of unrecognizable from the person you were, but, uh, no, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else for like, what other like experiences for college admissions? Like, yeah, I remember like the, having to like pitch yourself. I remember thinking of that as mm-hmm. being this kind of like dirty thing of like, okay, mm-hmm. like why can't it just be that, you know, I submit it and then like, that you know my application just speaks for itself but no no you sort of have to like find the right way to pitch who you are to like the to the interviewer to the admissions office i remember having like a discussion with the college counselor so we, we all had college counselors um and like talking about like my interests i was like involved in the linguistics society and like i did like this like linguistics olympiad super nerdy um <laughs> and like that had kind of been this thing that i like cared about a lot and then like in my was it my senior year or junior year? Maybe my junior year. But basically when I was applying to college, someone came and like, it turns out that he was like a transfer student. So he had not, he was like coming uh, in as like a new junior or something like that. Uh-huh. And like, he was like really good at this linguistics Olympia. Like he had already like won medals and stuff. So basically this guy was like better than me at this. Um, and I was like planning to talk a lot about like linguistics because it was like one of my passions in like in my Princeton application. And when I discussed that with my college counselor, um, you should kind of ask like, okay, well, like sort of how good are you? And I was saying, well, like, like I got like this place, which is like quite good. Um, but you know, there is this other student who like, you know, is even better than me and like has mm. these medals or whatever. And she was like, well, let's just make sure he's not applying to Princeton too, Whoa. you know? And it, it kind of suddenly felt this sense of like, oh, throughout the high school, everyone's like trying to wow. be super affirming and be like, just pursue what you're interested in, you know, pursue your passions, find what you're excited about. And like the rest will follow. And then suddenly it was like, Oh, like because you're number X and he's like number Y where that number is like higher than you. Like, it just you, leaves a bad taste in your Yeah, life. it's yeah. like you you can't be like Prince is not gonna take two people like that. Like you have to fit the one like niche. Yeah. Um and I just remember walking out of that being like, damn, like that's cold. <laughs> yeah. But I mean that's like just one small incident, you know, but like it's things like that where it's like it feels like there's a bit of a dissonance between what you're told, which is like, you're all going to be the future leaders of the world. Like the you're pretense, all super, yeah. yeah this yeah. sort of like few, super inflated sense of like uh-huh. who you are. Like you, we should have been humbled, right? We should have been told like, no, you got to like, 
you know, it's, it's, it's not like, you're not like the greatest person to ever live because you like are good at high school. Like we should have been brought down to earth, but like, I don't think the way to do that is to then give you this sense of like, no, you're just going to be evaluated in this kind of anonymous, like dehumanizing and utilitarian way. You're a number. So like, how do you, like, I guess the question is like, how do you like value the, the sort of individuality and like humanity of a person and encourage them to like be, you know, excited and passionate about something. Um, but like not inflate their ego too much, not give them an unrealistic expectation about what college will be like, but then, yeah, not how much Thomas, sorry, but how much of that do you think is a structural thing of boarding schools? Like that, you know, I'm always mm-hmm. curious about like how much of it is, is in the execution or, and how much of it is, is in this a structural thing and therefore can't really be changed. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much of the experience of boarding school that is like behind the scenes that like, you're not necessarily aware of when Truly. you're a student. Right. Like, like for example, like for the parents, like you were talking about how there's like the group of parents who yeah. sit around and discuss like what their kids are up to. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it's a status symbol for parents mm-hmm. to be able to say my kid went to X, went to Exeter school, or whatever. Yeah. And there's that whole thing. There's yeah. the donors, right? Yeah. There's the people who are like donating entire buildings yeah. to the high school. Yeah. You're donating money to a high school. To a high school. And it's like, you have your name on a cafeteria or yeah. like on a library or something, yeah. you know? And it's like, that's cool. I'm really like glad that like there were, donors who like did that rather than just doing something else with their money but like you know there's this like sort of lore of like exeter as an institution and it's perpetuated like by sort of these forces beyond your your control and you're you're just there for four years yeah the institution's been around for like 200 something you know um yeah so i think like the incentives of the institution are not always aligned with the vision that you have of like your incentives for being there. Like you, you want to get something out of it. And that might be learning. That might be a college acceptance. That might be relationships, but, um, the institution also has incentives. And I think we saw this with like the sort of, um, like sexual abuse cases, you know, right. Yeah. Of the faculty we that like, talk about this, yeah. yeah, like there were some pretty egregious examples where like the school was kind of covering their own reputation above like putting that above the need to protect students because like reputation is kind of everything um, for a school like that. Now I think like things have changed and I do think that there have been some like pretty, pretty serious like soul searching on the part of the administration and like trustees and everything and like new policies in place. So I don't want to be like super nihilistic about it and like it can't ever change. Like I think structures can change. Um, Yeah. But I think it's important to acknowledge that there can always be a slight like misalignment of incentives. Thomas, let's let's discuss this topic of, of um, sexual abuse a little bit. Yeah. Do you want to set the scene, provide a little more? Context? Yeah, yeah, I can provide some context. So um, like this is all public information, by the way. Like this is something that was in the news. Um, I think the first major case to like hit the news was St. Paul's, uh, which is another boarding school. This was like all over sort of like national newspapers yep. were covering this. Um, so St. Paul's, which is another boarding school in New Hampshire, um, had a case where, where the, uh, victim went public. Um, it well, now went public, but at yeah. the time was anonymous, at the time it was anonymous, but basically had been, um, sexually assaulted by a, um, senior when she was a freshman. 
And it was because like the school had this like tradition that they called like senior salute or something, which is like some hookup culture tradition where seniors, that. when they're about to graduate, uh-huh. send like a request to like someone that they want to hook up with. Jesus Christ. And okay. it's like some tradition where they're like sort of pressured to like do that. Yeah. Anyway. Is it the same? Is it, is it to a younger class? I don't know. I don't know the details oh, okay. of like, is it, does it supposed to be like a, like a freshman or something? I have no idea. Jesus. But like, so that, that seemed like that was a really toxic tradition that existed. And, but that was a student to a student. And I guess the main, I think there was a lawsuit involved yeah. or some sort of case. And it was sort of both about what will happen to the perpetrator. And then also like, what, what is the school's responsibility yeah. in this as well? So that was like when the school sort of allowed this tradition to fester. Um, in the case of Exeter, so again, these are public cases that you can just look these up. Um, a teacher who was there when we were there, mm-hmm. a teacher who I had in math, same, um, is now literally in prison because um, he basically um, sexually abused a student for multiple years, I think. Right, for for a long multiple duration years, of time. multiple occasions. Yep. Yeah, for like a, it was like an ongoing, extended thing, where he, like, under the pretense of tutoring her and like driving her to piano lessons or something like that, like sort of being a fatherly figure and a mentor to her, um, sort of cultivated and groomed her when she was like fourteen, yeah. and he was like in his fifties or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. I just remember being so extremely disturbed by that yeah, yeah. because I mean, I, I don't like it speaks for itself in terms of how wrong it is. But mm-hmm. like the fact that I knew this teacher and had a very high regard for the yep, teacher as well. Same, same. Um, and, you know, realizing that the fact that you have high regard for someone and think that they're a good teacher can be completely orthogonal to like the fact that they might be doing something terrible yeah, I mean, yeah. um, sort of in, in secret, like having this sort of double life uh, and the kind of like trauma that that can inflict on someone at such an age or any age, but like it just sort of, there was this trust. There was a huge amount of trust given to teachers uh, because they're living with, with students. They like live in the same buildings with you. They have like keys to your rooms where you sleep, you know, um, you go to them when you have an issue, they like take you to the hospital. They like invite you into their house and like introduce them, introduce you to their families. Um, and so it felt like, oh my gosh, we like put so much trust in these teachers. And then like that all had to get reevaluated after some of these cases broke. And it turns out that that was far from the only case. There were many other cases, many other cases. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. I mean, what if we were, yeah, I mean the, the being a female student, being a girl at a boarding school, it just. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. It really made me sick to the stomach as well, just because, yeah, exactly as you said, Thomas, I actually enjoyed his classes. That was the worst part for me. Like, I actually enjoyed his classes, and I did not view this teacher. I, I Yeah, I did not get a, 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 the faintest, the slightest hint of any of that. So, yeah. No, thank you for um, providing the context. It's... um. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely one of the structural things I think boarding schools can definitely work on and improve. Yeah, some sort of separation from from students from teachers, I think, would be good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just remember when I was a high school teacher, like there right. were pretty strict rules in place about right. like boundaries between you know um, teachers and students. Like, for example, every teacher's classroom like had a window in the door, so like you you could never really be behind closed doors with a student. Like that was just physically impossible yeah. with the way this, the rooms were designed. 
um, there were like just sort of blanket policies of like you can never give a ride to a student. So you mm-hmm. can never be alone in a car with a student, mm-hmm. for example. You know, um, like even with the windows on the doors, you were often encouraged to like keep the door open if you're having like a tutoring session or like meeting with a student. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, there, there were just like so many other norms in place of like, don't just like, obviously don't like engage in impropriety. But like, also they were like, don't even engage in the appearance of impropriety. Like don't yeah. even put yourself in any sort of position yeah. that could even remotely be construed yeah. as impropriety. Yeah. Um, and I mean, impropriety is like too, it's a euphemism. It's like too weak of a word yeah, for like, what's yeah, going yeah. on. But yeah. like, um, it's just sort of like, it was ingrained into me as like a yeah. teacher that like you do need boundaries. Yeah. Uh, and I think in boarding school structurally, that's hard because you're like, like that wasn't the culture of the boarding it, school. There's the culture is that like, you're like, living these, are your, these are like living with you. They're like your dorm parents, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, again, I think like some policies have been enacted to like improve those boundaries, but, um, I, 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 I don't know what the facts on the ground are currently. Um, I do hope that it's it's been better since then, but yeah. Yeah, I hope they address this as soon as possible, honestly. Oh, one last thing that I did want to touch upon, um, and and um, this didn't necessarily cross my mind before um, coming here to record this episode, was um, racism. Oh, th- did yeah. you Did you encounter anything? Did you even, you know, it doesn't even have to be personal. Did you witness anything in school? anything like that so i think this is like uh, a very interesting topic i think like in in these kinds of cases i think there's always a distinction between like malicious and like non-malicious yep like racially motivated comments or whatever like yeah like there can be actual malice of like let's bully someone or target someone because yep. of their race or their background and then there's like kind of just ignorance of like a lot of comments you know, these are kind of like, like the microaggressions that you might like hear of of like oh you're asian you must be good at math like that kind of stuff right where again it can be highly offensive and it could be malicious in, in the in the in certain contexts but also like coming from a 14 year old white kid who grew up in new hampshire saying something like that i wouldn't necessarily jump to attributing that to malice yeah i might charitably try to say okay that's just ignorance or something yeah and like going to school at that age like is a chance to learn and so uh, you know i think I mean, there were so many comments. I th- I don't I can't remember specifics, but like I think there were so many comments that I would hear in like the in, you know on a sports team or in the in a dorm after hours, especially the faculty go to sleep and it's just a bunch of fourteen year olds, fourteen through eighteen year olds hanging out in a dorm. Like a lot of stuff that like I like would cringe, or like more than cringe, frankly. Um, and I think there was a certain kind of like atmosphere of like transgressiveness being a bit cool, like pushing the boundaries, sort of saying things that are like people know are kind of outrageous and people would know not to say that in front of a teacher. But then by saying it sort of in their absence, you're sort of showing that you're willing to be transgressive. Um, I don't think I personally experienced what I would consider like malicious racism while I was there. I think like on the topic of identity, I could talk a lot about how being like mixed race gave me sort of complicated Mm. feelings of like not quite fitting in with either kind of the Asian crowd or like the white part of the student body or just like any particular group and like the the sort of unique challenges to that. But I wouldn't necessarily chalk any of that up to to racism per se. Yeah. But yeah, I'm curious to hear from you. Um, 
Thank you for that, Thomas. And I think it's also very mature of you to start off with the, the intention and, you know, is, is there malice or not? I think that's super important, especially, as you said, for these young kids that, you know, they're thinking bad. We just really didn't know better. Um, I don't know if I could say that it was malice. I don't think it was malice. But I did spend a year with my roommate who would just constantly make racial slurs. It's just like constantly say it to me. And but it was it was it wasn't like. Yeah, I mean, it, it really annoyed the crap out of me. And it just, it, it, I would definitely like try to come up with some sort of, you know, snarky comebacks or something yeah. like that to him. And, um, uh, but it's interesting because I think, I think it really forced me to, once again, that the whole intention of malice thing, it really forced me to sort of think about that and not sort of, you know, think of retaliation as a, as a method or like the, the response of it. I always try to kind of be better than that. I don't know. It had a lasting yeah. impact for my life even beyond beyond uh, boarding school as well. I, I don't necessarily want to say that it was necessarily, you know, it was a positive thing. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I think all of these experiences that the growth really comes um, from how you respond and how you sort of internalize these things and think about it uh, rather than the experiences themselves. I mean, no, no, you know, it's no experience of racism of any degree is good, right? That is, you know, obviously a fact. But how you respond, there's always a way to grow from it, I think, and learn from it. So, yeah, man, yeah. it was annoying as hell. That's, but... I'm sorry you experienced that. Yeah, I, I, but like, it, it also is like very in character for like the age group that the age people group. that I knew. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not to diminish like yeah. the harm that I can cause, but like, as disturbing as that is, it's also not super surprising to me. Um, yeah, I guess things were also different. Like it was sort of a different time as well. Like yeah, I think true. Like so, I think like 2015 was a bit of a turning point where there was uh -huh. like the Ferguson uh -huh. um, like events with like Michael Brown and like a lot of the protests in Ferguson. And I, I think there was an increase in public consciousness around race, um, particularly in that year. But then also like 2020 again, there was sure. more of that. But like, I think there was a lot of stuff that happened that would like not fly today. Um, I mean, even like well-intentioned stuff. Like I remember, okay, this is like, I guess me, I don't want to say coming clean or whatever, but like one time <laughs> an assembly, okay. So I was part of the International Student Advisory Board. Mm -hmm. And one time one of our assemblies was about like educating people about, um, like we had an assembly slot and we decided to, that we wanted to use it to talk about comments that could be hurtful to like international students or people from different backgrounds, like kind of these like microaggressions. And we, we made a video, okay, that basically was like what not to do. But like the video was like so racist, but it was like things that we weren't like, like an examples of what not to say to I someone. I think I remember seeing this. Oh my gosh. I like cringe to think about this now because it's like, yes, we had good intentions. Uh, and this got approved. Like multiple, te multiple teachers watched this video and said, this is okay to yeah, show yeah. to the entire school. Yeah. And it was literally us doing a bunch of like, racist skits like yeah. i mean like like things that were like we said explicitly don't do the following yeah, yeah, and yeah. then like showed it oh my gosh i cannot believe um we we were allowed to like sh like that would never be allowed today um like they would have said why do you need to do like you can just describe these things without like acting it out and we were like no we want to like really i don't know what we were thinking we were <laughs> like we want to like make it engaging or we want to like get the message home yeah show the examples yeah, I, I think you're right. The times have definitely changed so many. I mean, even I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Office fan, but like even if you like watch The Office, like there's oh, so like many, Diversity Day uh, that yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There's yeah, so yeah. many episodes that just won't fly today. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
I mean, the thing is, people like thought it was funny, which was like not exactly the intended message, but also like in the backs of our minds, I'm sure we knew people would laugh. And yeah. I guess we wanted it to be engaging, but yeah, I don't know. That, anyway, that was the kind of thing that could happen in, in 2017 or what? No, no, 2014, 2013. When, when, this is like maybe my upper year or something. Yeah. Um, 2013. Yeah. 2013. I'm very curious what high school experience is like for kids now. Yeah. Yeah. Know? I mean, especially with like COVID and all that, I think things yeah. have changed a lot. I mean, I'm happy to talk about that in some other time, at least Definitely. from my perspective as a teacher. But, uh, um, yeah. I think it's, it's different in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. So these are all like a bunch of interesting themes, but I guess to start to sort of wrap up and summarize all the things we've been talking about, uh, I still feel like, you know, in some ways we've only scratched the surface, but maybe one sort of good summary question is, um, would you send your kids if you have them to boarding school? Oh man. So <laughs> I have a few friends from college who, who went to boarding schools and I, we talk about this. Probably not. Probably not. Is my answer. Yeah. yeah. Is that surprising Thomas? No, 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 it's not. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if my kid, if I were to have kids, you know, back in Korea, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, they grew up and sort of, they had the similar, you know, path of path of life. I mean, up to high school, like me, then probably not. I mean, I honestly don't think that it was that, I think I learned a lot and I sort of, you know, developed this, 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 you know, callous skin, right. And, and in certain ways, I think maybe boarding school was helpful in that sense, but I honestly can't say that I net net. I enjoyed it that much. I mean, besides the people that I met, but I feel like you can always meet people, meet good people and form good communities, even be, you know, in, in, in any setting. Right. So probably not. How about you, Thomas? Yeah, I think I want to um, not, like, put pressure mm. on them. If I have kids, like, I don't want to say, I expect you to go to boarding mm-hmm. school. I don't want to create that expectation. Mm-hmm. I think I am open to if, like, they are fully informed and make an informed decision that they want to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd be open to that. But, um, yeah, I think the idea of, like, raising them with the expectation of one day going to boarding school yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Because um, it can be a big hit or miss for them. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. the, that's, if I had to come up with a one sentence summary for, for boarding school for kids, is like, if if you fit that environment, then it's going to be the best environment for you. If it doesn't work out well, then it's going to be brutal, I yeah. think is what I would describe it. Yeah, as yeah. As oh, for sure. It can be. I mean, there were so many cases of people taking medical leave because of, I mean, often when people took med leave, it was probably most of the time for mental health, right? I mean, we're going to have a whole episode on mental health at some point and we can revisit, you know, I'm sure this theme of boarding school will like recur. Um, But like there were definitely people for whom it was like not the right choice. It was, it was a toxic environment. There was too much stress, too much expectation, too much um, sort of competitiveness with their, with their peers. Um, I think, yeah, I I got relatively lucky. And then the hit or miss scenario, like it was more of a hit Mm -hmm. for me, I think. Um, and I think college was more of a miss, but, um, yeah, I, I, it could totally have been like, as we are talking about with some of those small factors that are outside your control that end up influencing the, the course of events in, in big ways. Yeah. So yeah, just being aware of that and also just being aware of how it sort of takes time away from the sort of parent child relationship 
Like I left home when I was 14. I left my, my youngest sister was seven when I went to boarding school, you know, and she's 20 now. So like way more than half, like a third of her life, you know, she grew up in the same house as me and two thirds of her life I've been away. And I think yeah. for the average 20 year old who has an older brother, that's not their experience. Their experience is that they've been relatively close to their sibling like the whole time. But she was uh, seven when you left and then now she's 20. Yeah. Wow. We were really dating ourselves. Aren't we? I know. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, you're like taking, there's like a finite amount of time you have, like I think with your, mm-hmm. with your kids. Um, and, okay. Like I would go back and spend summers at home and sure. all that. And, and this wasn't like a permanent goodbye. Um, but like they were on the other side of the world. Like they were 12 hours, 13 hours, uh, apart in time difference, like a full day's journey to like get there. And, um, you know, like just inevitably they were pretty detached from like the things I was experiencing, the things that were going through my mind. Yeah. And I feel like if I have kids, I want to be a bit more close and available. Yeah. But you know, there's always that question of you have to let them go at some point. So right. you want to also right. prepare them for that. You want to, right. yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to be too sheltering either. It's but hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's, it's just about having somebody who will just tell you that it's things are going to be okay. You know, it's, I think I want to be that dad and I think I need to be close enough with the kid so that I know which moments my kid needs to hear that from me. Yeah. 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 No, that's, I think that's a good way to put it. Like just having that sort of unconditional yeah, positive regard for, for your child and, mm-hmm. and being there affirming again, to come back to like a theme, like not sort of over inflating, not sort of like building up some right. sort of fiction, some sort of like fantasy about who they are or whatever, mm-hmm. but just sort of letting them know that they are, you know, good and valued as they are and, and providing like the framework and support for them to, you know, experience some adversity, experience some challenges, be challenged, right. grow, learn, because you learn through adversity, but like have it be the right amount of like protection that you sort of gradually scale back and allow them to sort of step outside and, 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 you know, figure out who they are, uh, figure out their own passions. Um, still feels like so much in the abstract. Um, I feel like we could have like a whole episode on like, you know, like parenting and, and sort of how to raise children. Although I guess neither of us are super <laughs> experienced are, in that yeah. regard, but you yeah. know, we were children once, so we, we have, once. we have thoughts on, um, mm-hmm what it was like to be a child and to grow up and to have parents. So, yeah. We should have an episode on this. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, Keong, are there other things that you feel like we we need to discuss on the topic of boarding school? As I said, I think it's a a recurring theme that may find its way weaving back into future conversations. Um, But I want to give you a chance to, like, if there's other um, things you feel like we we should hit today. No, no, honestly, Thomas, I think, you know, this was such a good time. I mean, I think we covered most. Um, and yeah, as you said, you know, it might, it might pop up in our future episodes, but I think this was really good for me. Honestly, it was very, it was kind of therapeutic too, because oh, a lot sure. of my like yeah. friends from boarding school, especially the, the experiences, the stories that I had, like the, the moments of tension with my closest friends uh, from boarding school, things like that I haven't shared with anybody. So it was good to just share with you and with the listeners and hopefully the listeners now it's uh, can sort of have a more, I guess, I don't want to say accurate because still limited to our personal experiences, but uh, kind of a more demystified, you know, um, understanding of boarding schools. So 
Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure for me as well. I, I, I find it to be like helpful to offload some of like the thoughts about this sort of mm-hmm. process it externally, put it down, like, you know, like we're creating a record, we're creating some sort of product, you know, mm-hmm. where we're putting something out there. Again, no clue how many people will end up listening to this. <laughs> uh, but even if it's just us, you know, and I hope it'll be more, but even if it's just us, like yeah. having it out there as some sort of finished product, yeah. Uh, like a synthesis of like our experiences that we could bounce back and forth between each other so that it's not just like ideas bouncing around inside my own skull or inside your own skull. Um, but this sort of something that, that we were able to create together and, and put it down and share it is, is really meaningful. So thanks so much, Gihong. For, so this for is going to be our family, my family heirlooms. <laughs> <laughs> we'll create like some like, uh, you know, vinyl records and you yes. can like put it in analog and, and play it, you know, uh, no, don't, don't, um, don't play, uh, don't, don't create the expectation in, for your kids that they need to go to boarding school by playing the, here's my conversation about boarding school. Uh, uh, loved it, Thomas. So next week, what do you want to discuss about? Oh, there's so many things. I mean, we have this whole like, document of like so many things we could talk about but you Do know we, we talk about love we could talk about love okay we could yeah yeah that's that's a great topic all it's, right it's a it's a fraught topic yeah <laughs> but it's a good one so maybe we should do that yeah and all right listeners get excited get excited yeah and there's other good stuff coming up as well great all right thanks Thank so much you. Thomas. <laughs>